When government commands what God forbids, you submit to the higher authority. I read in Exodus 1, when yet another world ruler, Pharaoh, decided the Jews were becoming more numerous. And like a lot of these guys through history, they didn't even realize they were a pawn of Satan who has tried to destroy the Jewish line all the way along because he knew Messiah was coming. And he still has always produced this hatred of Israel. And uh, Pharaoh thought that he'd kill all the Israelite boys. You remember he told the midwives, if it's a girl, let him live, but if it's a boy, kill him. And I read in Exodus 1, the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but let the boys live. Welcome to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings part seven of the message titled, The Christian and Government. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. We're looking at uh, the Christian and government. And as Christians, we know, we know who the governor really is. We know personally the king. And our citizenship is in heaven from which also we eagerly await a Savior, Philippians 3.20 says. But in the meantime, we're to be down here as salt and light, Jesus said. And uh, government plays a fairly big role. In fact, it plays a God-ordained role in our lives and in the life or history, you might say, of this world. And so we've looked at several principles. This is, I think, the most comprehensive statement in the Scripture, although Scripture says a lot about it. This here in Romans 13 tells us what should be the Christian's relationship to government. And uh, government is established by God. Verse 1, let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. Human government is so much established by God that he refers to it as a servant of his. He gives a fairly limited role for government throughout the scripture. And we are to be subject to the governing authorities. Uh, and the scope of that we've seen is, is quite broad. We're to pay taxes, whether we like what they do with the taxes or not. Uh, we're to pay the taxes that we owe, verse 6 and 7. Uh, we need to remember that when Paul wrote this, Nero was the Roman emperor. Uh, and in saying that human government is established by God, we're in no way saying that it always does right. In fact, we know there's been much abuse of this delegated authority. And as I stated earlier, the worst abuse was the legal if I could say that, the legal execution of the only innocent man who ever lived, Jesus Christ. And so uh, we don't say this with our eyes closed or in kind of an odd way. We're subject to government because God said to be. Now, uh, I said... There's three more principles we want to look at, and I've given them to you in a certain order. I want to swap number five and six. Uh, so if you're trying to match this up with last time, why just swap five and six. And I want to state this. This submission to government, point five, is not merely pragmatic. 
Look at verse 5. Wherefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, because he just said God instituted government with a sword to execute wrath on those who do evil, but not just because you might get punished, but also for conscience sake. In other words, we submit to government not just because it works and keeps us out of trouble, but because it's the right thing to do. And this is true of all levels of human submission. In fact, all submission is done because it is right, fundamentally. Not because it works. And this applies in your marriage. This applies in your home, children, with your parents. This applies down at work. Turn over to 1 Peter for a second. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. There he gives once again the function of government. And he says, submit yourself to them. For such, look at verse 15, is the will of God that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. If you're reading Peter and you hear what he just said, he said, submit yourself. For such is the will of God, we would expect him to say, for such is the will of God that by submitting, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men because they're going to accuse you of things. But by submitting to the human government, you will silence them. But he didn't say that. He swapped a, a, uh, an equivalent term in for submission, and it is what? Doing right. And he does that throughout this whole long section in Peter on submission. Look down at verse 20. What credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. If you're rebelling and... Uh, causing the government to come down on you, well, what, what, uh, what credit is there then when you patiently endure it? But if you're submitting to the government and you still are punished, if you're doing what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it. This finds favor with God. He talks about submission to government. He talks about submission in all realms. He talks about submission within marriage in chapter 3. Look at the first six verses. And he uses Sarah as an example. And verse 6, thus Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you, and he's talking to Christian wives, you have become her children, children of Sarah. Just like we think of being children of Abraham. He said, you can be children of Sarah if you but he doesn't say submit. He says, if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. Gals tell me sometimes, oh, I'm fearful. I can't, I wouldn't dare. You don't know what would happen if I'd submit to my husband's authority. And uh, they're frightened. But the scripture says you can be a child of Sarah if you'll do what is right. It's the right thing, not because it'll work. Often it does. Often God uses this in a very obvious blessing in your life, whether it's submission to government or to your husband or to your parents or to your employer. But we don't do it because it works. We do it because it's right. Look over at verse uh, 
17 of this same chapter. He says this repeatedly. Chapter 3, verse 17. It's better, he says, if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. I suggest that uh, he repeats this four times because it's so liberating to realize that we do these things, we submit to human government, for instance, because it is the right thing to do. And we know, we have a moral compass. I know the world doesn't. I know our culture says there's really no right or wrong. You do what works or you do what everybody votes on recently or what the latest poll says or what this generation has slid into thinking about this or that. But we've come to know the King. We know the Lord. And we know there's an absolute right and a, and a wrong. And we do what is right when we submit to government. Now, having said it this strongly, that all government is ordained by God, that we're to submit to it, and we're to submit to it because it's the right thing to do, the natural question comes up in everything? Is this absolute? And I would answer, no, not in everything. And no, this is not absolute submission. Point six, Romans 13, as we're looking at this, the sixth fundamental principle, this submission is not absolute. In fact, no submission is except submission to God. There's always the potential for gross misuse of authority except for the authority. He never misuses his authority. And we are to absolutely submit to him. But there comes many a time in life when delegated authority misuses its authority and that human authority over us, governmental authority, since that's the subject, contradicts the higher authority, God's authority. And it's at that point that we must submit to the higher authority. And so we want to look at that. And if you, uh, if you want to um, state it very, very simply, I think, and I think it should be stated simply because we tend to run with this and we tend to go too far with it, uh, we're not to submit to government. When the government forbids that which God commands. Okay? Or, turn that around, when the government commands us to do something that God forbids. Those are the two categories. When government uh, commands what God forbids and when government forbids what God commands, then we go to the higher authority. And it's really pretty much uh, the exception, if you think about it. And I'd like to illustrate from Scripture. Government, uh, there'll be times when government commands us to do something that God forbids. And uh, turn to Daniel. Turn to Daniel. Daniel, you know, uh, is set in a time when God's people, the Old Testament prophet Daniel, the book of Daniel was set in a time when God's people were in exile. God used the wicked government of Babylon, and it was a wicked government, to punish Israel, we saw earlier how God can use government even internationally, and does. He's in charge. And, uh, but individuals in Babylon, 
even in places of influence. And Daniel and his three friends quickly rose to the top because it was the Babylonian way to take the cream of the crop from their vanquished ones and put them into key roles to kind of keep the natives, you know, from getting restless and also to uh, establish this empire, the Babylonian empire. And so Daniel and three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, became influential in Babylon. Uh, But uh, let me just read the situation, chapter 3, verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold, the height of which was 60 cubits, 90 feet, a 90-foot image, and its width was 9 feet or 6 cubits. And he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, sent word to assemble all the government authorities and all the rulers to come to the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar, the king, had set up. So all these rulers, satraps, prefects, governors, counselors, treasurers, judges, the magistrates, you know, joint session of Congress, everybody was there. They were assembled for the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image. They stood before this image. Think about it. And then the herald loudly proclaimed. There was this big announcement that came over the PA, so to speak. To you, the command is given, O peoples, Nations and men of every language. It was like every network was on this. You know, you turn the TV on, all the coverage was there. And this announcement came, okay, to the whole world, Nebuchadnezzar fancied himself the ruler of the world. And he said, to you, O peoples, men of every language, at the moment, verse 5, that you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of music, there's going to be this great music you're to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. Well, now that's commanding something that God forbids. You read the Bible at all and you realize God says, you worship nobody but me. I'm it. There's only one God. Don't worship any other God, Israel. I'm it. There's only one true God. And we're to worship no other God. We're to have no other God, small g, before him. So he's very clearly commanded something that God forbids. Uh, Romans says, render to all what is due them. Tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. I would add, worship to whom worship is due. And there's only one. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. But you render to God the things that are God's. But this had some bite to it, too. Verse 6. Whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. He'll be burnt to death. That's a fairly uh, clear edict. You can hear the news anchor men saying, here's what he said. You know, the announcement, you'll be burn to death if you don't worship when you hear the music. Well, therefore, at that time, verse 7, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, bagpipe, and all the kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Mass conversion. (laughs) 
I, uh, you know, everybody all of a sudden changed their religion. All these different world religions, he united it just like that. I was listening to, they, they interviewed Schwarzkopf uh, on the news this week, and, you know, with this uh, Baghdad thing and the general who was in charge 10 years ago, they said, did you, did you think 10 years ago that we'd still be dealing with Saddam Hussein? 10 years later, he said, nobody. He said, I didn't think so. Nobody in leadership thought so. No news anchor thought so, he said to the news anchor. And he, he said, nobody thought we'd still be dealing with this guy. Well, how has he stayed in power, general? Well, he has a lot of friends. If you're not his friend, he kills you. Hence, he has quite a few friends over there. And I thought of that when I read this, you know. All of a sudden, they decided they'd worship a new way. They'd worship the image that Nebuchadnezzar set up. For this reason, though, verse 8, at that time certain Chaldeans came forward and brought charges against the Jews. They responded and said to Nebuchadnezzar the king, O king, live forever. You yourself, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears all this music is to fall down and worship the golden image. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the furnace of blazing fire. There are certain Jews, verse 12, whom you appointed over the administration of the province of Babylon, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have disregarded you. They don't serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. There were three men, at least, and I take it they represented many more Jews because they brought the charge against this one people who knew God. And these three men were singled out because that's who they were after anyway. And they said, they didn't do it. And you know the story. Nebuchadnezzar went into a rage. And uh, he, uh, he said, uh, verse 13, Nebuchadnezzar in rage and anger gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these three men were brought before the king. And the Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? You don't serve my gods? or worship the golden image that I've set up? He kind of controlled himself. If you're ready, at the moment the music plays, to fall down and worship the image that I've made, we'll just kind of forget about this very well. But if you will not worship, you will immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. And what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, that's up to him. God can, he's able, and he will. But even if he doesn't, they didn't know. Even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we're not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. When government commands what God forbids, it's black and white. You submit to the higher authority. I read in Exodus 1, when yet another world ruler, Pharaoh, 
decided the Jews were becoming more numerous. And like a lot of these guys through history, they didn't even realize they were a pawn of Satan who has tried to destroy the Jewish line all the way along because he knew Messiah was coming. And he still has always produced this hatred of Israel. So you wonder what made what made Hitler tick? And why was it that Stalin and these hated the Jews in such a special way? Well, they're pawns of Satan. And uh, Pharaoh thought that he'd kill all the Egypt or the Israelite boys. You remember he told the midwives, if it's a girl, let him live. But if it's a boy, kill him. And I read in Exodus 1, the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but let the boys live. Simple statement. Not fear God and honor the king at this point. Fear God and do not do what the king says. Exodus 1.17. So when government commands what God forbids, don't. Obey, obey the higher authority. Then there's other times when government forbids what God commands. Stay here in Daniel. Turn over to chapter 6. Let me illustrate this. Chapter 6. This is by the time uh, that uh, this is late in Daniel's life. He's not a young boy anymore. And uh, this is when the Medes and Persians were in charge, and this Darius was over the kingdom. And verse 7, all the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects, the satraps, the high officials, the governors, have consulted together that the king should establish a statute and enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king for 30 days shall be cast into the lion's den. Uh, that's fairly, fairly clear. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it may, may not be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which may not be revoked. Put it into an unchangeable law, Medes and Persians law, don't change. Do that, king. Uh, establish that nobody should pray or petition to any other God except you for 30 days. Let's have a loyalty test here. Therefore, King Darius signed the document, that is, the injunction. Now, what do you do? You realize how foolish this is. You realize you've been around a long time. You've seen these little rulers and how impotent they are. But yet, he said, if you don't, if you pray to any other God besides me for 30 days, you'll be put in the lion's den death. <laughs> what do you think? Well, I think there'd be a real temptation to say, well, what's, a th what's 30 days? <laughs> I mean, we'll just play along. We can pray quietly, uh, probably. And, and besides, I've been serving the Lord faithfully for a long time. Maybe I need kind of a spiritual vacation, <laughs> you know, just a 30-day break. It seems like it might be an appropriate time to take it. In fact, a good time to get away from the Lord. By the way, parenthetically, don't ever take a spiritual vacation. You've been listening to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, The Christian and Government, a message from our series in the Book of Romans. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to AbideInTheWord.us. 
A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. We're excited to report that the Romans Project is expanding rapidly into the countries of India, Nepal, Thailand, and Cambodia. We invite you to click on the link for the Romans Project on the front page of our website at downtownbible.org. There you'll find monthly updates, testimonies, and images from Romans Project outreach around the world. To learn more, navigate to romansproject.org or connect with us at facebook.com slash romansproject. If you don't have a church home in the area, Pastor Scott would love to invite you to join us in person for our Sunday worship services at Southwest Bible Church. That's each Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 a.m. at the church located at the corner of Southwest Murray and Weir Road in Beaverton. You can go to our website at swbible.org for more details. We hope to see you there. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. Having illustrated it from Scripture, let me underline four things, four things that ought to be said here. This civil disobedience, if you will, this disobedience to government should be rare, at least in the United States of America. It may not not be rare in other places in our world today, but it should be rare in America. In other words, it should be strictly limited to when the government purposefully forbids what God commands or commands what God forbids. And those times are not just because you don't like the tax or just because you think it's Uh, unrighteous that the government is allowing sin or whatever. There's a huge difference, by the way, between the government failing to prosecute sin and the government telling you to sin. Join us again next time as we continue our series through the book of Romans. Pastor Scott will conclude the message titled, The Christian and Government. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.